welcome listeners to Season 4, Episode 17 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Kelly, and my pronouns are they, them. And this week, we are watching the patron-voted film, The Silence of the Lambs from 1991. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be perfectly paired with human liver. (laughs) (laughs) This episode will contain discussion on cannibalism, sexism, misogyny, mutilation, and transphobia. If any of these topics are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode. We'll see you next time. I made the drink this week. Yes, you did. And, you know, lately... Gotta be honest, I've been in a little bit of a drink slump. <laughs> when it comes to creating the cocktails, I'm just not feeling inspired. But today, boy, was I inspired. Oh, yeah. This is called Hello, Clarice. <laughs> um, based off of the iconic Hannibal Lecter's uh, line. And of course, when people think of Silence of the Lambs, they think of the Chianti wine yes. that he... Um, Pairs with his meals of human organs. Which I'm pretty sure he pronounces Kianti. Yeah. Kianti. Kianti. It's like the A that's different, but yeah. I've always heard it pronounced Kianti. Yeah, that's probably the right way to pronounce it. I don't know. He's very educated. Yes, but I, f- I feel like that wasn't a mistake. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this does feature Chianti wine. I was going to maybe just pick a nice Chianti for us to drink just on its own, but that wouldn't be drinking and screaming. Um, so this has Chianti wine floated on top of the rest of this completely unique cocktail that features Mad Lab's Honey Pomelo Bitters as our sponsored ingredient. And the rest, you gotta you gotta join the Patreon. So I don't know if you intended to do this, but the actual way that it looks reminds me of the scene when he like eats the guard's face. And then there's like the hard contrast of like the white of his outfit and the red along his entire face. Cool. Uh, it's very uh, on theme, both, both visually and uh, flavor flavorishly. Yes. Thank you. When I was trying to make it, I wanted the Chianti wine floated on top. And I said aloud to Kelly, I was like, OK, if it doesn't work, I'll just stir it and say that that was meant to be from the get go. But I succeeded in floating the wine on top. But how does it taste? I haven't even tasted it yet. It is very a char drink underneath there. (laughs) Um, But it is very good. And it seems complex in the flavors, which is good. Uh, I could see this being something that's served at a restaurant. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) And I've got the glass that while drinking it, it's very like um, fancy and sophisticated. So, Um, yeah, I really like it. It's, yeah, sweet and sour. I think... Can you really taste the Chianti? Mine, uh, my glass was deep and I was using kind of like the remnants of the cocktail to create it. And I feel like the Chianti kind of got lost in mine. Yeah, mine, the layers really help because it's like the first thing I drink. Nice. Good. So, yeah, it is really good. I like it. It's strong. I can definitely taste that it's strong. Oh, yeah. There's nothing in there besides liquor and (laughs) a little bit of lime juice. I don't think I've ever actually had Chianti either. So I don't know if. 
this is good, Chianti? Well, let me tell you that it has a certified seal on it because it came exactly from the right place of Italy. Um, It's like how champagne is not champagne. It's sparkling wine unless it comes from Champagne, France. Mm. Same thing goes for this Chianti. It's apparently any wine produced in the Chianti region of central Tuscany. So it's wine. But it's Chianti <laughs> from wine. A, from a specific, the uh, image is that like classic like short wine bottle with like the straw yes. wrapped around the side of it. Ours did not come with straw. No. I did get, I got an official one, but it's still on the cheaper side. I mean, I'm on a budget. Mm-hmm. It's good. I actually wonder if like, now I'm more curious about the wine itself. If it has a distinct flavor because of that region, like if the climate makes all of the Special wines. Special grapes. Yeah. yeah I'm if, thinking so. Interesting. I'm also really sad because I thought we had more of the other ingredients that go into this drink than we do. And now we don't have. This is it. Once this is gone, (laughs) there's no more for after the episode. (laughs) Interesting. Well, it was good while it lasted. Just like this movie. This week we watched The Silence of the Lambs, which premiered on February 14th, 1991. A nice little Valentine's Day date for sure. I was not born yet. This was a few months before I was born. (laughs) Directed by Jonathan Demme, and the screenplay was written by Ted Talley, but it's based on the novel, which was written by Thomas Harris. Starring Jodie Foster as promising FBI trainee Clarice Starling, Sir Anthony Hopkins as intellectual cannibal Dr. Hannibal Lecter, Brooke Smith as plus-size, I say in quotation, Senator's daughter Catherine Martin, and Ted Levine as the woman skin-suit-creating serial killer James Gum. This storyline was written by Hugo on IMDb. Thank you, Hugo. And I'm specifically saying storyline because as you may have heard on the last Drinking and Screaming, IMDb be changing, man. (laughs) So now it's storyline and it's kind of like a longer synopsis, but still without giving away the ending. Is it because they don't believe that current generation know what synopsis means? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. But anyway... FBI trainee Clarice Starling, Jodie Foster, works hard to advance her career while trying to hide or put behind her West Virginia roots, of which, if some knew, would automatically classify her as being backward or white trash. After graduation, she aspires to work in the agency's behavioral science unit under the leadership of Jack Crawford, played by Scott Glenn. While she is still a trainee, Crawford asks her to question Dr. Hannibal Lecter, Sir Anthony Hopkins, a psychiatrist imprisoned thus far for eight years in maximum security isolation for being a serial killer who cannibalized his victims. Clarice is able to figure out the assignment is to pick Lecter's brain to help them solve another serial murder case, that of someone coined by the media as Buffalo Bill, played by Ted Levine, who has so far killed five victims all located in the eastern U.S., all young women who are slightly overweight, especially around the hips all who were drowned in natural bodies of water, and all who were stripped of their large swaths of skin. She also figures that Crawford chose her, as a woman, to be able to trigger some emotional response from Lecter. 
After speaking to Lecter for the first time, she realizes that everything with him will be a psychological game, with her often having to read between the very cryptic lines he provides. She has to decide how much she will play along, as his request in return for talking to him is to expose herself emotionally to him. The case takes a more dire turn when a sixth victim is discovered, this one from who they are able to retrieve a key piece of evidence, a moth lodged inside her throat. If Lecter is being forthright as to its meaning. A potential seventh victim is high profile Catherine Martin, played by Brooke Smith, the daughter of Senator Ruth Martin, which places greater scrutiny on the case as they search for a hopefully still alive Catherine. Who may factor into what happens is Dr. Frederick Chilton, played by Stranger Things Papa Anthony Held, (laughs) the warden at the prison, an opportunist who seeks the higher profile with Catherine, meaning a higher profile for himself if he can insert himself successfully into the proceedings. So that's a storyline off IMDb. That's what that is. Pretty (laughs) in-depth. But of course, I got to wrap it up here. So Hannibal tricks everybody, of course, and Clarice continues her investigation alone, believing that Crawford has the right address to James Gum. Hannibal is able to escape from the maximum security prison after transfer because Dr. Chilton was a huge dick and left a pen in his cell while he was tormenting him. This results in Dr. Lecter murdering and mutilating two security police officers and wearing one of their faces in order to escape via ambulance. Meanwhile, during her investigation, Clarice is able to connect the dots and find Catherine in James Gum's basement and confronts him head on alone and kills him in self-defense. She graduates from the academy and receives a cryptic call from Dr. Lecter himself, telling her that he'd love to stay and chat, but he's about to have an old friend for dinner. As he hangs up, he follows Dr. Chilton in an unknown village. Uh, the, what was the name of the Chilton? The actor? Anthony Held? Uh, yeah, it's not Papa. What? Papa's played by Matthew Modine. No! Holy cow, it really looks like him as a younger man. Older white dude? Definitely, I... I'm, that's not me dunking on you. That's yeah. That, that looks it really familiar. looked like him. I'm kind of sad. I was like, oh, man, Papa. I, I was like, because you mentioned it while we were watching. You were like, oh, my God, he always plays an asshole. And I was like, I Googled it. And I was like, oh, yeah. In, in like a lot of his movies, he plays a villain. Uh, but he's definitely not Papa. Oh, thank you for correcting me. I would have felt like such a dumb dumb. He's in Alone, that movie that you watched recently. Um yeah. One of the many women abduction movies that you've been watching. Recently. I do have a type. Yes. Um, <laughs> he's the villain in Accepted, I think. And he's in Red Dragon, which I'm assuming he doesn't last too long, depending on how it goes. Because <laughs> that's the sequel, if you didn't know, to The Science of the Lambs. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, they do look very similar. I will give you that. Holy cow. I'm going to post a side by side on Instagram because <laughs> damn. Hit me with that trailer audio. The killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, spins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Uh, I have one problem with that trailer. Go ahead. Uh, it says that Clarice is a rookie FBI agent, but in the movie, she's actually still at school. She's at the academy to be oh. an FBI agent. 
Get your shit right, trailer. <laughs> it was definitely a 90s trailer oh, for yeah. sure. It had the like dooms and stuff. It kind of felt like uh, Escape from New York style of trailer. Yep, totally. I see that for sure. And it also kind of made it seem more jump scary. Oh, yeah. It, uh, it made it seem more like a horror movie than like a mystery thriller kind yeah. of movie. I would. That's kind of one of my points is that this film is still definitely a horror for me. I consider it. It is like it has thriller themes, but I still consider it a horror. Yeah. I guess the presence of it being like a cannibal makes it a lot more horror than it is actually just a crime drama. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts on this movie? So my first thought is that I really enjoy how fleshed out uh, Hannibal Lecter's story is. Like, it feels like we're missing an entire movie before this movie actually happens where, like, the Hannibal Lecter case happened. Yeah, Um, they did a really good job with that. Yeah, because, like, there's so much backstory with, like, him and the FBI agent. Clarice goes and, like, explores his uh, locker with all of the stuff that he had left behind. And it really, like, you can see more of his personality and could possibly see, like, nods to the case actually in that room. Yes. And it just adds so much texture to the villain of the movie. Is he? It's so interesting. Yeah. The anti-hero, the other antagonist or the other protagonist of the movie, I guess. I'm like, Dr. Chilton is the villain to me. I don't know. Hannibal seems very nice. Yeah. Like that's. (laughs) He's definitely a feminist. (laughs) (laughs) It is very weird to be like, yeah, this serial cannibalist is the good guy and the doctor guy who's mean to him is clearly the bad guy right Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah i think it just it really helps you imagine that hannibal lecter is a person that did lives and did crime before being locked up and how much like he is missing everything like his main thing is he wants a view because he knows he's like been caught he'll be in there forever yeah but he's in isolation which also, not to derail your point, but I think it's so funny that they're like, he's in solitary confinement, isolation, in this cell block of prisoners that he can talk to. Yeah, and can manipulate into <laughs> killing themselves. Um, yeah, it is very weird because he, like, we know now that Hannibal exists, like the TV show. Yes. So it does have more of his character and what he did before actually As a younger being, man. Yeah, and so... If Hannibal existed before this movie came out, it would be almost like, oh, it's cool. Now the person that we've enjoyed watching for seven seasons or whatever gets to help a new FBI agent with a case. And it's like Mm -hmm. mysterious. We get to see him at his best. But it's like that this movie still kind of feels like that, even without having Hannibal around before. Yeah, we don't get to explore too much of that storage unit that is his. But I feel like it's. It's also staged like he staged it the Mm. way that it was because it was never a place for him to really store things. I think it was well to store one specific thing (laughs) being that body. Uh, So that's I'm so interested in how his mind works. They really made him a very curious being. Yeah, I am interested to see if a lot of those props show up in Hannibal because there's like very specific shots of things in there like his cabinets and he had that weird the eagle piano. and the piano. They had a long lingering shot of the piano. So like, I wonder if watching Hannibal, like he has all of those things in his house. It's also yeah. like cool because I don't know, he he's like given a profession and like he tells you backstories about like his previous cases and stuff like that. I just think it's like really cool that this character feels 
<laughs> he almost feels like he's the sequel to another movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's what? also like in um, I didn't include this in the scaredy facts, but the director and Anthony Hopkins were having conversations about like how much uh, how much humanizing they want to do of Dr. Lecter. Mm. And Sir Anthony Hopkins was like, I don't want to make him seem like a good guy. And the director was like, but he is a good guy. He's just <laughs> trapped in like the psychotic mind. Yeah. The brain is fucking with this person that wants to be a good man. And he's just so like highly trained and specialized that it makes it easy for him to be that kind of person. Yes, totally. Like there's some points that it just seems like he's fucking magic. Like the way that he can tell the perfume that Clarice uses most days, but not today. Yeah, very cool. I assume it's because her clothes still have the scent. Yeah, like the jacket. Yeah, it's just so like some of them are lingering on magic at some point. The skin cream. He's like, you use Evian skin cream. Yeah. And she was like five feet away. (laughs) (laughs) It's also like if he is like this upper class gentleman, like the fact that he also knows the like cheaper skin creams is interesting. Hmm. Um, Obsession with women, maybe. Yes, I don't know. Anyways, that's my first point is that this again, protagonist question mark of this movie. Second protagonist. Yeah, it's so well thought out. My second point is that uh, you actually mentioned this, but I noticed you didn't have a point of this. Everybody keeps looking at the screen when they're having conversations. Yes. And it makes it feel very like intimate. Like, you know that these two characters are having a conversation, but the way that it's shot almost makes it feel like they're talking with you yeah both sides of the conversation but more so people who aren't clarice yeah really like stare into your soul and it makes it almost feel like uncomfortable which i think is sort of the point like you're supposed to almost feel like hannibal lecter is looking at you and analyzing you yeah so it's a lot of these shots of like staring directly at you and saying these very intimate things that are happening but like you're you're not even really supposed to play Clarice. It's like you're even isolated from Clarice. You're the focus right now. You, the human being watching the movie is the focus of these characters in the movie, which makes you very like vulnerable and put on the spot. Yeah. And Clarice like does stare at the camera as well. I do have a scaredy fact about this, Ooh. which changes because we sort of talked about this before and now I feel loaded. I can't really say my opinions until I tell you the scaredy facts. Oh, no. so I'm going to tell you now when characters are talking to Starling, they often talk directly to the camera. When she is talking to them, she is always looking slightly off camera. Oh. Director Jonathan Dem has explained that this was done on purpose so as the audience would directly experience her point of view but not theirs hence encouraging the audience to more readily identify with her oh but i do appreciate i think that the idea of like making us feel like the subject is we're feeling the pressure of the case we're feeling involved and that's basically how she's feeling too yeah so i think that your analysis is still very on brand there but also they say that she doesn't she looks slightly off camera i'm like but she also looks really into the camera i think i noticed when you brought it up during the first scene that i noticed she was like slightly looking off but i don't think i paid enough attention later on to actually realize it yeah but uh, i mean that does make sense because then it also feels like She's not looking at you. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. And it's it's used so heavily in the movie that it feels like 
almost like a major theme of the movie. Definitely. Is that you're supposed to feel in her, her shoes, I guess. Yeah. And it's it comes up a lot. Like, it's not just like a lot in the beginning that like sets you in the mood to then just follow her for the rest of the story. But at the end, when she's graduating and her and Crawford have this one moment before she goes and takes the phone call, it's present again there was one moment that I really remember seeing it. So it's interesting through line for sure. Yeah. You're supposed to feel like you graduated into the feds. I'm skilled. All right. My third point I had, this is going to be the biggest one. And this is, uh, I wanted to talk about that. So let's let's talk about Buffalo Bill. Oh boy. So this movie actually really tries to subvert the trope of like trans people being portrayed as serial killers, which, you know, like shows up in a lot of older movies as well as procedural cop dramas use this a lot. (laughs) Criminal minds. Uh, what? Yeah, what? That movie or that TV show that's really bad and portrays people awfully? Yeah. Um. So it's actually stated that Bill is not transgender, while the movie itself actually uses a different word, um, and that real transgender people are more passive and, like, kind and calm, which uh, it ch- is using that language to try to, like, isolate itself from the other movies that uh, do it. Uh, It talks about how he thinks that he's transgender because his life of abuse made him actually hate himself and want to change. Um, But he's uh, been denied gender reassignment surgery three times and is now skinning women to make himself a woman's suit. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it still follows the tropes like without that line of dialogue where Clarice is like, he's not transgender. They're passive. You don't understand. And uh, Hannibal is like, yeah, well, he thinks he is because of all this abuse and shit. But he's not. If you cut that conversation out of the film, it still does all of the things that movies that are using trans people as the villain do like they yeah. have the, the scene of him dancing with the scalp on his head and tucking in his dick under between his legs they have like his sort of effeminate personality that seems to be fighting against this more aggressive masculine personality yeah it's very very weird they're like dancing along this line and i i feel like they were trying to prove a point by having that be that he wasn't transgender, but they sort of missed the mark because of the tropes that they still included. Yeah, I think they just didn't know how to do it any other way. Because a lot of these like movies that portray trans people as like murderous serial killers, psychopaths and shit like that, mm-hmm. sort of declare that like, well, there are two elements inside this person. One is fighting to be man and one's fighting to be woman, which is just simply not the case for yeah. trans people. And they also like kind of equate it to like mental illness and like yeah. it's always like piled on with so much other stuff. It's they're trans because they're evil. Yeah. Um, And or even like they're evil because they're trans. It's just like. And please, no. It's tied up in all of these like bad assumptions about trans folk. And I don't think this movie did a good enough job to like subvert that. Yeah. But apparently I, I read that this is considered one of the last movies, probably like one of the last public movies that actually represents trans folk in this way. Oh. Um, and that they started skirting more towards like representing trans trauma, which is more indicative of the trans community but also it hasn't been until recently that we've gotten movies with trans folk that are like just allowed to be dang old human beings yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah I think it it didn't I saw what they were trying to do and I understand that like that one line is supposed to let make us think oh yeah they're not doing it anymore but 
they did such a bad job with the rest of the movie yeah. showing just showing us what their interpretation of a trans person is being a psychopathic murderer that it still sort of misses the mark. It also was kind of weird to me the line that trans people are passive. I don't know. That seemed weird yeah. to me. I think they meant it in like they're not violent. Yeah. But instead they use the word passive, which to me was just so weird. Like it kind of is a synonym for like apathetic to me. Yeah. And um, out of all the trans people I know, they are not. Apathetic. <laughs> I mean, they'll fight, but they'll fight for something else. They won't fight to fucking murder people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it, was, it was just Clarice doing her theatrical allyship. <laughs> um, and then being like, well, no, we also have this very intellectual psychiatrist, so we should trust him as well with his his analysis of this mm-hmm. and i was like what if we just had a real trans person what if a real trans person um so yeah i i think it's uh i mean i think you probably have points later on about like the feminism but this movie did definitely feel like very turfy totally i agree this definitely was turfy yeah but um yeah like i said i think this right direction but Wrong execution. Yeah, it's a, really a sour spot. I spoilers for my final thought. I really love this movie, <laughs> um, and it this does have like a a bad note to it. But I'm glad that we're talking about it instead of like brushing it under the rug. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I really appreciate your 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 point. Thanks. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by American Nightmare Candle Company. Discount time. Get 10% off your order on their Etsy page with code DRINKANDSCREAM, all caps. They even have special matches now, but don't forget that you can bring the horror into your home with a handmade soy wax candle from American Nightmare Candle Company. The scents are inspired by locations iconic to the horror genre. Places like the Overlook Hotel, Sleepy Hollow, and Elm Street, each for fragrance combination is carefully curated to transport you into the story and the catalog is ever evolving. You can buy them right now. Seriously, right now. Available for purchase at etsy.com slash nightmare candle co. This season of drinking and screaming would not be possible without the support from Mad Lab Distillery. We use their bitters in today's cocktail. The honey pomelo bitters. Ooh, which uh, I thought had honey in it because I'm dumb, but it's a, it's a fruit. <laughs> I have been using their cocktails so much lately because it's so hot and I need a lot of cool, cool drinks. So it's mostly just ice, whiskey, and bitters. (laughs) (laughs) Nom, nom, nom. You can get their awesome stuff at madlabdistilling.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drink and scream, and you can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinkingandscreaming.com. Now tell your friends and family about us. We're trying to hit 40K before the end of the season. Less than 2,000 listens away. I know we can do it. Help us get there, friends. Goodbye, horses. (laughs) We're We're going back to the episode. (laughs) Demonetized. No. <laughs> it's time for Whispers from Beyond. We don't have a new.
new review this week, but we do have some special announcements. (gasps) Thanks to all these reviews. Thanks to everybody listening. We wanted to take some time to actually thank each of you who listen to the show, who talk about the show, who tell your friends and family, who mention us on social media. We were featured in Apple's new and noteworthy section last year, which boosted our ratings to number one for a bit in the podcast world, which was awesome. But of course, once that feature goes away, the listing goes away as well. But now, drum roll! We are organically the top 20 film podcasts on Apple Podcasts! Yay! Which I am really, really proud of. (laughs) I swear to God, I'm gonna cry. Um, It's something that we've been working towards and like we've drive all our hard work our blood sweat and tears go into the show I just can't believe that we got there yay and I'm just thankful for everybody thank you so much for listening we're almost at 40k listens as well <gasps> Warhammer 40k <laughs> See, that's I'm glad Kelly's here. I'm the sappy one there, the, <laughs> the jokester. So I do want to say I would love to make it to 40 listens, 40, 40 listens, <laughs> 40,000 listens before the end of this season. We have like four episodes left. Can we do it? Yes. If you haven't listened to some backlog episodes, go ahead. See where how far we've come because, oh boy. <laughs> Play it on your Apple TV. Play it on your Chromecast. <laughs> Put it on your laptop. Get your friends to play it on their all their devices. Open up your Wii and figure out how to play it on an old Wii. Oh, gosh. See if the Switch can do it. Tell people. Tell your friends. Tell your coworkers. Tell your family. If you hate our show, tell your enemies. Maybe they'll like it. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to get to 40K. We want to stay in the top 20. No downward dips from here. Only up. Yeah, I don't want to be 21 again. <laughs> But seriously, a Whispers from Beyond segment that's a little out of the box. Thank you all so, so much for listening. We really appreciate you. All right. What are your points? All right. Pew, pew, pew. I, first things first, I kind of want to jump off of your point about how intricate Hannibal Lecter was Mm. as a character because I had it as my last point in the document, but I feel like they kind of did the opposite with Clarice. You find out a lot about her life through Hannibal Lecter, but it's in a way that's like informing you about Lecter and not actually about Clarice because of how skilled he is in deciphering all of these little nuances Mm -hmm. about her life. But we don't really get to learn much about her as a person besides her biggest childhood trauma being the Silence of the Lamb story. And of course, that she's an excellent FBI trainee and wants to pursue that as a life goal. But. I want to know more about her besides the little like nuances that Dr. Lecter points out about like what her perfume is, how she grew up in a small town and she's trying desperately to hide her accent. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Like those jabs about her past don't actually inform us about herself. Yeah. We see she has a friend at the FBI. Did they like meet on the first day and bond over being the only women there? Or like, did they go to high school together? Have they just like, did they meet midway? Like, uh, Yeah. We know nothing about her. Why does she buy bad shoes? it could be that she's poor but i don't know that's me assuming i mean she is a student so yeah but like what does she want to do for fun what is her life's goals besides working in the fbi 
I just think that it's definitely we talk about on the show so much about how women are always like mothers, teachers or daughters. Mm -hmm. And she's definitely not any of those. She's a student. (laughs) But what else is she? It's just it's not enough. They did something different, but I want more. I almost feel like they did that thing where it was intentionally not flushed out so that you could project yourself a bit onto her. Yeah. Especially with the idea that people are talking directly to you as Clarice. Yes. Yes. Going back to the eye contact in the camera. Yeah. I almost wonder if like the idea was that she's intentionally sort of not flushed out so you can project yourself onto it. Yeah, that could be. Especially because, well, I don't know, especially because, but it was a book first and they it was very similar in the novel. I've read the novel and you don't really get to know too much about her a mm. bit more, but still not enough. Yeah. But that's a really good reasoning as to why I think you're right on the nose there. I guess it's also like... Uh like maybe we're a little bit Hannibal. Like we want to know more about her. So we're working oh. with him to get more out of it. And if she just like blatantly told us everything, then it wouldn't be as fun to see Hannibal get it out. But then again, it, that puts it back on Hannibal to show his skills. So. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I think, uh, I think there are probably reasons why she wasn't entirely fleshed out, but I, I understand what you're saying where it's like, it would have been, it would have made her character have more depth if we knew more about her. Yeah, especially comparing her side by side to Dr. Lecter. I just feel like it was a bit lacking there for sure. Yeah. And then my next point is that I kind of wanted the blatant sexism and alienation that she's enduring that they did include a lot of that in the film. Like there's when she we first are introduced to her, she's like running her track and stuff. And then she gets called to be with Dr. Crawford or she gets called to Crawford's office. Uh, so she has to go in the elevator of the school and she's like a small little <laughs> brunette woman surrounded by huge men. When she gets to the place that Hannibal is being held, Dr. Chilton hits on her super yeah. awkwardly. When she's like researching the next victim that they find from the water at a funeral, her mentor shits not uh her mentor like shoots her in the foot by like being like i don't want to talk about the case in front of a woman yeah (laughs) which he later says well that was to get more information of the case but it was also in front of other people Mm -hmm. she Uh, did a good job of talking him down after that though she was like it's important though that you put up you teach the the cops how to act because they look to you so don't be a fucking dick and continue to perpetuate the cycle exactly So, yeah, good call. She does stand up to herself there. But there's like so many examples of this. And yet I feel like there just wasn't enough because it wasn't every second of the day. And like if you're not being objectified every second of the day, are you even a woman? (laughs) That's my main point here. It just it's weird how I don't know. I don't really know what my point is. It was very like uh, digestible, I think, like. It was more something that you just notice as a viewer. They're like, oh, they included that. That's cool. And that's feminist that they said that that exists. But yeah. it wasn't overt enough that it became annoying. Like it, it should have been yeah. annoying for us to keep seeing it. Yes, that's I think that's you hit the nail on the head for me. Thank you. I couldn't really put my finger on it as someone that <laughs> deals with it every day. Uh, it just didn't feel like reality. And also, but that's it's what, weird. That's what. Uh, people who don't experience it should have said as reviewed this movie doesn't feel like reality she's getting hit on every second of the day people keep accidentally touching her that doesn't happen in real life yeah what the heck oh boy I mean and then I brought this up as a joke earlier and I'm going to bring it up again about how uh, one of the inmates of the 
solitude confinement that's not solitary uh <laughs> migs ends up masturbating coming in his hand and like throwing it at her face and that was a really intense moment which then maybe we sort of talked about this off screen made uh hannibal want to help her more than before yeah i wonder if he always intended to help her and that was like a catalyst for him oh, i'll do it right now or like if actually seeing her be objectified and like him feeling like disgust for the way that other people are treating her yeah. caused him to do it. It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's a weird thing to think about. So that moment was very that was when I felt like, yeah, this is real. <laughs> it's also a weird scene because as it's happening, you just hear like Hannibal shouting out for her and she rushes back and he's like leaning up against the window, like almost seductively, like, I'll help you. Yeah, totally. go to this place. Yep, yep, yep. And then we get the first clue that's like not or that is a clue, but it's very weirdly thought out. An and anagram. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, he loves mystery. his anagrams. <laughs> and then she leaves and cries at her car. And I was like, yeah, I feel this. <laughs> yeah, it's too real. <laughs> that one moment, the rest of it, I was like, meh. Could be more. It's because she remembered her dad and how seeing her dad come home from the job made her want to be a cop. And now she's like, is it worth it? This sucks. <laughs> Oof. And then my last point is more of a, a, a uplifting thing. I really wanted to talk about the music. Ooh. I thought that the score of this film was super great. Um, it didn't feel like a typical horror score. And I don't mean that in a way of like shitting on horror movie <laughs> music where it's very like. Din, 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 You're just doing Friday. You're doing Halloween. But you know what I mean? Like it's always repetitive and then there's like stinger and then it continues and you can't really think about a lot of horror scores besides stuff like Halloween that of course that's an iconic theme or like The Exorcist or whatever or The End of Annihilation <laughs> but this score was very different It's but it still made the mood very dire it, it did a lot for the audience uh, in helping them process the story but it just felt like such an atypical horror score to me and this was composed by Howard Shore and I went researching for a little snippet of an interview so in Soundtrack Magazine Howard Shore states in regards to the music I tried to write in a way that goes right into the fabric of the movie he explained about his approach I tried to make the music just fit right in when you watch the movie you're not aware of the music you get your feelings from all elements simultaneously Simultaneously, lighting, cinematography, costumes, acting, music. Jonathan Dunn was very specific about the music and what he wanted. And I thought that was a really interesting point. And I've seen this movie so many times. And it's really only this viewing that I really took the time to recognize the music and mm-hmm. notice how it was impacting me. And it did a really good job. But he's totally right that like it just was a really great support system for the other elements of the film all working cohesively together. Yeah, it'd be weird if they made anything with Silence of the Lambs that focused on the music, like some sort of like like musical or something, perhaps with Silence hmm. of the Lambs. What? Yeah, that'd be interesting. There is a musical. It's a parody musical. It's so good. How do you know about it? I was so close. Guys, this is my biggest shame. I was like inches away from playing Clarice with a lisp in that musical. Uh, but I didn't get the part. No. Very sad. In Vancouver, though. Yeah, it happened. It was great. It was the Canadian premiere. I got to callbacks. I made it all the way. And I didn't get picked. Yeah. 
but it was still cool. And fun fact about that production, they chose a plus-sized Clarice, which was very interesting. I didn't actually get to see the show, so I hope that they didn't make any like, haha, we're looking for a guy that like fat jokes. I hope they didn't make any fat jokes about Clarice being a plus-sized performer. But the if the the soundtrack of the musical is on Spotify <laughs> and it's so funny. You have to listen to it. Such a great score of the musical. This is kind of a tangent, but it's really great. Listen, you mentioned the music. I needed to bring up that story. I just like that story because you auditioned and we watched the movie and you did you did all the like listening to the music and stuff. And then we recorded an episode of Drinking and Screaming. And I was like, yeah, Silence of the Lambs. And you're like, I don't think I've seen that movie. <laughs> It's like, wait, what? <laughs> Damn it, Shar. <laughs> Is that your final point? That's it. That's all I got to talk about. Uh, so I, I got to, you know, Clarice mentions her most horrifying moment mm-hmm. uh, as a child. Uh, I had this moment when I was a child of this like uh, just shadow faced person with a cloak over their head, really like hunched over, almost like a like a wizard or something coming up to me when I was a child and being like, listen, listen here, kiddo. I got here this book for you. you. When you get home, you know what time it is. It's time to open the And every day, I hope that I can silence that man's voice. (laughs) (laughs) There was a goat's face on it. How did you know? (laughs) So my recommendation is Seven from 1995. It unfortunately has Kevin Spacey and Morgan Freeman in it. But it's a good mystery movie where they have to work with the serial killer. It's also got one of the most used memes at the end of the movie. What's the meme? What's in the box? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's seven from 1995. Nice. My recommendation is Saw from 2004. It may seem like an odd recommendation because of the reputation that Saw has, but it definitely has the whole cops versus serial killer vibe. They're both thrillers that I love, but you just have to be ready for it. A little smidge more brutality there. Uh, That's Saw from 2004. Also, a slight spoiler, but it does a very similar thing that Hannibal did in this movie. Mm. Mm. I know what they're talking about. Mm. Do you? Get in the comments. Time for... Scaredy facts. This is the part of our podcast where we invite you into our maximum security cell. We tell you all (laughs) of our psychological intrigue and we forget that this was a movie as we go on IMDb and we learn a bunch of facts as IMDb changes in front of our very own little eyes. Uh, And it helps us learn that, uh, you know, not everyone in this was a serial killer. Not everyone but maybe some of them. Who knows? It's, <laughs> it's happened before that there's been a real serial killer on the cast. Yeah. So for this episode, I did the scaredy facts. Of course, you all know I talked about it earlier. And we do have budgetary information this time around <gasps> as this is an older film. <gasps> so budget, $19 million estimated. All right. Opening North American weekend, they almost made it back with $13.8 million. Wow. But gross worldwide is, get ready for this, $272.7 million. Jeez. <laughs> so much money. Woo. So much. Holy cow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's quite a lot. <laughs> uh, starting off with a goof. 
When Clarice visits the entomologist to identify the moth pupa that she finds from that body, they say while examining the chrysalis that it must have been specially raised from imported eggs and fed honey and nightshade. In reality, death's head moth larvae, like most caterpillars, eat only vegetation. The adult moths eat honey. Oh. So it's a little goof there. Maybe they just wanted to say nightshade. <sighs> the first moth cocoon that is found in that victim's throat was actually made from a combination of Tootsie Rolls and gummy bears so that if the actress accidentally swallowed it, it would be totally edible. <laughs> I wonder how many they made and how many people ate them. <laughs> This is a typical fact that I feel is the most well-known scaredy fact of The Silence of the Lambs. Jodie Foster says that during the first meeting between Lecter and Starling, Sir Anthony Hopkins mocking her southern accent was improvised on the spot. And she was actually horrified and had a genuine reaction because she felt personally attacked. <laughs> but later she was like, wow, thanks so much. That was great. You made an honest reaction out of me. Uh... I wonder, I don't, I haven't looked up any, I, n nowadays, I feel like whenever I praise an actor, I have to go onto Google and be like, this actor's name, controversy. Oh, yeah. So I actually don't know if uh, Anthony Hopkins has any controversy or, or if he's like one of the rare actors who's actually a person. I think he's the latter. I know that during COVID, he did special videos. I mean, he's a, a lot older now of, um, himself playing piano of himself like being inspirational for future students of the world nothing comes to mind negative when i think about him interesting are you gonna pop my bubble no i was just looking um okay i haven't found anything i mean it's either the one that we suspect all these old guys do or he fucking murdered a guy which would be kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> well, before we stop talking about Anthony Hopkins, then I guess I'll tell you that he only performs in this film for 24 minutes and 52 seconds, and he still won the Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role. <laughs> it's the second shortest to ever win, uh, next to David Niven in Separate Tables from 1958, who had 23 minutes and 39 seconds. Interesting. The real-life FBI's behavioral science unit assisted in the making of this movie. The production received full cooperation from them, and they saw it as a really great potential recruiting tool to hire more female agents. They wanted to empower women, and that they wanted it to be as accurate as possible. Nice. One of the only things they commented on was that Agent Starling would never have been sent to this like high-profile, high-risk uh, last errand mm. alone. Uh, and they commented on that during the process of the film and the filmmakers were like, yeah, but, but it's the climax of the movie. We can't not do it. Yeah. I mean, unless, you know, her director wanted to sleep with her, mm. which is probably why they said it would never happen. Cause that probably happens. <laughs> Oof. During location scouting, oh, this is cool, for the house in which the serial killer James Gum was living, Ted Levine, the actor, was amazed to discover that the house, which was considered, was not only in the town where he grew up, but it was the house that was right next door to the house of his high school girlfriend. <laughs> so it was the exact situation of the character was that house for the actor, which is so weird. Nice. And last but not least, Clarice Starling was chosen by the American. I got to end on a feminist note. Clarice Starling was chosen by the American Film Institution as the sixth greatest movie hero out of 50 when she was the highest ranked female on that list. 
Dr. Hannibal actually takes uh, the number one greatest movie villain. Nice. This is from a list of like the top 100 heroes and villains of yeah. cinema. That's awesome. Yeah. She's the number one lady. Yay. Hero. And that's it. That wraps up my scaredy facts. Some good scaredy facts. Thanks. Do you have final thoughts? I do. Um, it's mostly that like every time I watch this movie, I always feel like it's going to be a slow burn. Because it's like an older movie. It's got the stigma of being like a like an old, like a classic horror movie. Yeah. But it's really not slow at all. Like it, it feels like the moment that the mysteries start, it's really fast paced and it's it's just really good all the way through. Heck yeah. That's basically my point, too. I'm so glad that our patrons voted for this movie. It's a great film. I've read the novel and I think that it's one of the greatest adaptations from novel to screen. There is some slight changes from the beginning and ending of the book, but otherwise it's pretty word for word um, or you know what I mean. And yeah, really great film. Loved it. Highly recommend. Nice. Well, that's been The Silence of the Lambs, a movie about a hero dog that saved Erica Hahn so she can go become a surgeon at Gray Sloan. <laughs> Next week, we have a very special episode as we'll be watching The Mortuary Collection from 2019 and interviewing actor Josephine McAdam about their experience making the film. Ooh. And remember, always scream responsibly. Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drink and scream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com.